0: And I, I am going to pray over Casey and our entire um, group of speakers this morning, both Robbie and Sarah as well. Um, and I would ask you to extend a hand where you're sitting, if you can, as I pray over them. If you came to support them, I'm so excited. I hope that you counter not just their preaching, but the presence of God. Um, he is in our midst, so keep that reality in mind. Holy Spirit, would you come now and fall on these three amazing young individuals, these young leaders who have such an impact on their campus, God, um, but more importantly, the formation that you have um, going on in their soul. You are shaping them. You're molding them. You're transforming them to look more and more like you on this long journey of the way of Jesus. Thank you for each of them, for Casey, for Robbie, for Sarah, their passion, their heart, God. This is a day that they will never forget. Decades will go by, and they will look back and remember November the 3rd, 2019. So God, may they be empowered with your Holy Spirit. Breathe on them right now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Give it up for Casey again.
1: Good morning, family. Let's give it up for our worship band. That was amazing. So as Spencer has said, my name is Casey Moore. I am currently a junior at Greensboro College, um, and today I am blessed with the opportunity to talk about what it truly means to um, be a family in church. So uh, with that said, uh, I'd like to say the definition, and that is, what is family? People who come from different backgrounds to join together to follow our Lord and also become brothers and sisters through his blood. So with that said, I'd like to make three points also, but before I get into that, um, I'm going to be reading out of Acts 2, 42 through 47. There it goes. Um, so I'll give you all some time to turn to that real quick. Okay. Right, so scripture says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer's. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed their proceeds to all, as anyone has a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex, broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved." So, growing up in the Moore household is pretty simple, okay? You played a sport, you went to church on Sundays, tried to get good grades, and grow to be no taller than 5'6". <laughs> but one thing that would be forever etched in my mind is every Monday night growing up, me and my family would sit around the TV, sit on the couch, and watch the show Wipeout. Now, if anyone is a millennial or just love to have a good laugh throughout the week. Everyone knew that Wipeout was a place to go. So if anyone knows about Wipeout, they would sometimes have these specials of a couple's um, episode or a team episode where all the competitors had to cross the finish line to win the prize or win the ultimate uh, money. So with that said, Wipeout is kind of like the game of life, kind of like what it truly means to be one family in Christ. You're going to walk through the obstacles. You're going to try and duck and dive, move around the devil when he tries to stab you in the back, when he tries to trip you up. But the thing about Wipeout is it's not about who doesn't get knocked down. It's about the people who get knocked down and are the fastest to get right back up and cross that finish line. And that's what it's so amazing about um, this. And to quote the Life Application Bible from verse 44, it says, But as part of God's spiritual family... It is our responsibility to help one another in every way possible. God's family works best when its members work together. So this is my first point. Uh, We have to walk alongside each other in pursuit of the same goal. And that is so key. When one person wipe out, when one competitor crossed the finish line first, that person would turn around and say, hey, you got this. Hey, if you got tripped up, try it this way, try it this way. And that's what we need to do as a family. We need to build one another up. We are supposed to be together through the good, through the bad, through the ugly. No matter what it is, we are working together for the same goal, for the same purpose, and that is to fill God's love, fill his purpose that we have for one another. With that said, um, my second point is this. It's people that you do everyday life with. Now, this time... We're coming up on Thanksgiving, right? So one thing uh, that I heard is if it's tweetable, it's memorable. So what I want to say is Christ's family is not a family you do Thanksgiving with. It's not a family that you do Sunday mornings with. It's not a family that you do once a week or once a year family with. It's a family that you do daily life with. In verse 46, it says, Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. Every day, every day. That's the key word of that. Every day, they devoted themselves to pick up their cross and help one another, follow Christ, follow in his footsteps, follow the life that he has desired for all of us. So to continue on, family, I grew up in Tampa, Florida. And if anyone knows anything about Florida, we have millions of stereotypes. 99% of them are very true. Um, But with that said, being from Florida, Disney was my go-to place. Every summer, every Christmas, every Halloween, every event they ever had, I was best friends with Mickey and Minnie. I was, but if you truly know me, I was probably best friends with Goofy. Um, So, (laughs) with that said, one thing I, tr- I remember from Disney was, the, my favorite ride was Splash Mountain. And if anyone has ever been to Disney, Splash Mountain is this big, just waterfall looking thing that you just go down and you, when you get to the end, it just splashes water all over you. Now, all of y'all are thinking, why would you wanna get wet? Well, when it's 99 degrees in Florida in the summer, like you wanna get wet, like you wanna get soaked in something, um, other than your sweat, of course. Um, so, with that said, Splash Mountain, if anyone knows anything about it, it's this log that there's about 10 to 15 people that are in the ride with you. Now, there's three to four people that you go to the place with, you go to Disney with, that are sitting in the same row as you. But behind you, you might not know them. And if you know Disney, 99% of the time, it's people from a different country. It's foreigners. So you got Joe Blow from Canada, Canada, Canada. <laughs> same thing, right? Um, from Canada behind you. Rachel from Russia, all these kind of people with their 12 kids. So what I'm trying to say is, since we are on the same goal and with that ride, we are on the same goal to reach the end of the ride, right? But Christ's family isn't just people that look like you, don't have the same interests as you, don't have the same background as you. It's people that come from different race, come from different religions, come from different ethnicities, whatever it may be, to Come together for a specific goal, and that is to follow our Lord that he has called us to do. Now, so with that said, you're on the ride. You're going through it. It's all really fun. You're kind of going up and down, sideways, all this kind of stuff. And then you get to the very bottom, and it's just, you're like, wow, that was fun. But the thing is, you're not the only one that gets wet. People on the outside that are not even on the ride are in what's called the splash zone they are watching the ride, they are looking at you, have fun on this ride, but when the ride comes to the end, they also get splashed, and that's what it's like to be a non-believer in this world. Non-believers, they are looking at the Christ family and saying like, man, what's so interesting about that? What's so fun about that? That looks like fun, but that's also scary. That's a big drop. You get wet. You get all this kind of stuff, but then they get wet, and then it's like, the Lord's grace flowing onto them through us, saying like, look, you come join this ride. You come join this ride. You will have fun. This will be a ride that you will never forget. This will be a ride that will change your life forever. So with my third point I want to make, you got to multiply the family. Make sure we are called by God to make disciples daily. We are called to make disciples yearly. Every single day we are called to reach the people that are not meant to be reached. And that's what it means to be a family in Christ. We have to multiply the family. This isn't just the family right here. It's family that you haven't met before. It's family that you have to reach out and have that uncomfortable talk with. So the last thing I want to leave you all with, or actually, sorry, the three main takeaways that I hope you all can take away from this is, one, we have to walk alongside each other daily. Number two is every day. Every day we have to pick up our cross. We have to be on mission for him. Number three is multiply the family. So with that said, I want to make one final remark, and that is we can't fall in love with just the family. We have to fall in love with the Father himself. For me, this is huge. This is so dear to my heart because I get caught up in this so much. As a family, we're supposed to call on each other for disciple discipleship, loving, encouragement daily, and all, all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, we get so wrapped up in that, I feel like. We get so wrapped up in the feelings that we receive from that. Like, oh my gosh, I just shared my heart to this guy. Like, oh, thank you, Jesus, you did so much. But in all reality, you haven't talked to him. You've only talked to him. You've only talked to that guy. You've only talked to your friends about what you're going through. And this reminds me of Exodus 19. If anyone knows anything about Exodus 19, it's when Moses is going up the mountain, okay? And the people are using Moses as their voice to talk to God. And I feel like that's how it is for us. We use other people to talk to God for us, where we can walk up the mountain ourselves and we can talk to him because we have that power. We have the blessing from him to go talk to him about our needs. He wants to hear it from us. Yes, he loves when we pour out our hearts to other people, but are you talking to him on your own time? So with that said, I just want to give you all one final thing to like walk away with is without your Christ family, would you still be the same Christian that you are today? If they were all gone, if God removed everyone from your life and that Christ family, are you still strong enough to be that godly person that you are today? So thank you for y'all's time. Um, Next, we have the lovely Sarah Lovick to come up and talk about mission in church. So let's give it up for her.
2: was good church. All right, well, let's give it up for Casey. I feel bad. Thanks. You do a great job talking about family. All right, so I'm going to talk about mission and what it looks like to be on mission in the church, not missions, but having a mission for Christ and doing that daily. So I'll start off with the scripture. Um, If y'all want to turn to Acts 1 with me, and we'll read verse 8. All right. So, Acts 1 8 reads, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, I'm going to pray before I get started, so if you want to bow your heads with me. Um, Jesus, thank you for this time. I just pray that your words would speak through me, and that you would hide all of us behind a cross, and that the gospel would be so clear. Amen. All right, so Acts 1-8, um, I'm going to be going mainly off of this verse through while I'm talking. Um, so this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He had 12 homies that followed him around for every meal, every dinner time, like just down his throat all the time. So Jesus, or these 12 guys are following him around, and Jesus was about to leave to go back to heaven, and he was giving them a task or a duty to do before he leaves. So when he talks to the disciples, there's three points. He says that they will receive the Holy Spirit— they will be a witness, and he sends them out to the ends of the earth. So all these things are promises he's giving them. These aren't, like, questionable things, like, it's about to happen. So we're going to go to my first point about mission. Um, I'll give you all the definition of what it means. So mission is being sent for a duty or purpose, like Mission Impossible, that movie. I don't know all of it, but you know what I'm talking about. So um, being sent out, you have a, like, y'all go to work, you have something you have to do through the day, check some, ta- check some tasks off your list. So some synonyms for mission are commission, your life work, your purpose, or your goal. Um, so we're going to flip, y'all can if you want to, it'll be on the screen. So Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. this is another account of when Jesus was talking to the disciples before he left. Um, so this is just reworded in a different way. And Christ says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So both of these verses, like I said, are when Jesus is about to go back to heaven, and he's giving them a mission. So we talk about having a duty or a purpose or being sent out, and Jesus is specifically giving them a task to do. In the first verse, he says, you will receive the Holy Spirit, you will be a witness, and he sends them out. And then in Matthew, he tells them to go. He says to make disciples, to baptize them, and then he tells them what to baptize them in, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So both of these verses, as I said, are Jesus giving them that goal and mission. So now we're going to talk about what it looks like to be on mission for us, like some practical ways to do that. So some practical ways to do that are this acronym, BELLS. It's from a book I got. Um, So the first word, or the first letter, B, is to bless someone. Um, Random acts of kindness, dropping flowers off at someone's door, just being extra nice for no reason. Uh, well, for Christ, um, the second letter E is to eat with someone. Okay, I mess up, guys. Um, so the second letter E, we have so many meals of the day, and I know I like to have dessert too. So there's extra cookout milkshakes. So try to invite somebody to go get a milkshake with you, to have a meal with them, to take intentional time to listen to them. Because a lot of the time when we're talking to someone, we're listening and talking to talk back. We don't listen to them just to hear them out and to respond like. We want to have something back to say. We want to fill the air. And a lot of the time, like, we're not going to hear their true heart if we're constantly speaking back to them and not letting the Lord Lord move and just, like, all that we want to do. So the next one, the first L is to listen. Like I said, this goes right with eating. Like when you have a meal with someone, take the time to breathe. Like when I'm talking up here, I have to, like, take the time to breathe or else I'm about to talk real fast. So take the time to listen to people. Like, they're probably still processing and they got a lot going on. Like, it breaks my heart to know that my closest friends, like, they could be going through a lot of stuff by themselves and I don't even have a clue because I don't take the intentional time to listen to them and hear them out. Jesus only had 12 and he never asked us to be busy. So we give all these excuses, yet really all it takes is a milkshake and breathe in a couple seconds. All right, so then the next L is to learn. Learn. Everyone is good at something. I'm not, I'm really bad at tennis and golf. I'm decent at like volleyball, so I can teach you a little something about that. And everyone has something they're good at. So take the time, like all of this is just being intentional. So often like this next three week series we're about to have is about busyness. So much of the time we want to make it about ourselves. We want to do something like we're trying to fill the air. Like Jesus was alone for a lot more, like a lot longer than we thought. He was with the disciples, but he took intentional time to be by himself and, like, when you're in New York City, if any of y'all been before, it's real busy downtown. Like, you hear everything. There's lights everywhere. Like, I feel overwhelmed. And, like, you can't—my mom will be yelling at me, and, like, I can't even hear her two feet away from me. And a lot of the time, we're all in this busyness. We're trying to meet with people. We're doing stuff. We have all these obligations. And yet, we're like, Jesus, like, why are you moving? Like, I'm trying, and I'm doing this. Like, you're in the middle of a downtown city. You're in the middle of, like, meeting with ten different people during a day. Like— getting up and like sleeping for six hours. Like, no wonder you're not hearing the Lord if you're only putting about six hours of sleep into it, if you're only taking time for like being in a downtown city of New York. All right, so this last letter is sent. So for sent, um, in both of these verses, Jesus sends them out. So he promises them that they will receive the Holy Spirit. He tells them that they will be a witness. And then he sends them out to the ends of the earth. And Matthew 28 makes it really easy it just says, therefore, go. Like, let the scripture speak for itself. There's literally two words, and we get so mixed up of, like, I don't know what to do. Like, are you calling me? Are these signs? Like, Jesus says in scripture, like, we ask for signs so many times. Like, faith is not faith if we know every step of the way. Like, there's not supposed to be this staircase and this blueprint y'all are walking on to be like, oh, I know what I'm doing here. Like, I'm gonna get married then, and I'll do my, like, schoolwork here. Like, faith is faith for a reason. I hate trust falls, but, like, how am I going to be able to testify to the Lord's faithfulness if I'm not even trusting Him? All right, so those are practical ways of being on mission. So we know that mission is having a duty or a purpose, and it like we have something to do. Then we know what it looks like to be on mission, some practical ways, get a milkshake, whatever. Now we're going to talk about the hot po- whew, heart posture of missions, because a lot of the time if we're not in the place of ha- having a restful soul and we're not taking the time to be with the Lord, we're not going to be able to sit and listen over a meal. We're not going to be able to be in that place to do that. So um, for just the general like, definition of a witness, um, a witness is someone who has knowledge of an event from a personal experience. So y'all know when you go in a courtroom, like you see a car crash or whatever it is, like you have to go up to the stand. You, have, like, you had to see the car crash. I can't go and talk about something I didn't see. Like that wouldn't make sense. So some synonyms for this are a testimony or an observer. Legally, a witness has to tell the whole truth because they're under oath. So when they go into the courtroom, they prompt, like, they're under oath. like They'll tell the full truth, that whatever saying, Morgan knows it. She's a lawyer. Um, <laughs> but they have a personal experience. So it's important they had a personal encounter with it, and they're telling the full truth. Like, that's not an option. So then to testify, so they go on stand. And to testify is to serve as evidence or proof. A lot of the time we talk about witnessing to other people and we just use the wrong vocabulary. Like being a witness is my whole being because I've experienced the grace and the mercy of Christ My whole being is a witness. As Casey was talking about, that splash mountain example, like other people are getting like splashed with grace and the love of Christ because like I'm fully devoted, I'm fully surrendering. This isn't about like, oh, she's a radical Christian, like, oh, but she's really about the Lord, like, you really do this. Like, you're either in it or you're not. This isn't like, let's put some toes in the water. All right, so the Greek, fancy stuff, I'm gonna pronounce it wrong, but it's fine. Okay, so in Acts one eight, Jesus promises them that they will be um, his witnesses. So we get the word martyrs from this Greek, or from the word "witness," and from that we get the word "martyr." A martyr is someone who willingly suffers death rather than renouncing their religion. I must say it again. So a martyr is someone who willingly suffers death rather than renouncing their religion. Christ is talking to the 12 disciples at this time, but the Bible is not something that's just for those 12 disciples. I am a disciple of Christ. I am a witness, and therefore I'm becoming a martyr. I am willingly suffering death rather than renouncing my faith, and that's something we have to choose daily. Christ is constantly getting on his knees and praying for us and pursuing us, yet all the time we're in downtown New York City wondering where he's at. Mission is what binds us as family, and we're either choosing that or we're not. We can't be half-heartedly in this, and if you are, you're confusing other people. We talk so much about Christians, and it's like, oh, like, are they really a Christian? Like, we put all these extra adjectives on it, and it's either you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ. The Bible doesn't even use the word Christian. You either follow Christ. These disciples are with him day and night in every single meal. So either choose to follow Christ or back up from what you're saying because you're confusing other believers. You're confusing the people that are getting splashed on saying, I see this grace and I see this mercy, but also they're choosing these other things. What does love truly look like? And so many times people are getting hurt by the church and they're getting hurt by other people and they're getting a misconstructed idea of the Father. We're putting these earthly things onto a heavenly Father, this personal relationship that, (laughs) that's my alarm, of someone who isn't truly, like who God truly isn't. So my question for you is, Christ is daily choosing us every morning. Are we daily choosing him? Are you choosing to live as Christ and to die to yourself? Or are you choosing to water down the gospel to be comfortable with some friends? Are you choosing to water it down so that you kind of fit in or not telling the full truth? It's like being, you're not, you may not be telling a lie, but you're being deceitful, not fully being a witness and testifying to who Christ is. You can either wake up and gladly choose surrender for Christ, or you can suffer and not choose to, and testify. We talk so much about discipleship, but are we truly doing that? Discipleship is calling each other higher. Family isn't supposed to look like us. This is supposed to be an uncomfortable walk, and yet so often we're making it this comfortable thing. The gospel is not, people shouldn't be coming in church and like, wow, that was so much fun, that was great. Like, we should leave convicted. We need to be on our knees daily being humbled because I'm sinful. Though I'm a witness and I testify, I'm continually sinful. We all have 24 hours in a day, and we're either choosing to spend it on mission or for selfish gain. Jesus never asked us to be busy. Jesus never asked me to have a full schedule to commit to a bunch of different things. And you can say you're doing it to show others Christ, but if your being isn't rested and solely in love with Christ, and you're in a complete full place, you're not going to be able to overflow. If you have an empty cup, what are you going to serve people? So, I'm getting emotional. So. My cry for you is that you'd raise your broken hallelujah. Because so often we feel like we have to have it all together. You don't need to be full. You just need to be on your knees for Christ. Jesus doesn't ask us to have it all together. He doesn't ask us to know all the words to say to people. And we're either choosing mission or we're not. And Jesus was on his knees sweating blood. Blood was dripping from this man's face, from his arms, because he was so broken, broken. He was praying for all of the people and he turned around and the disciples were asleep in the garden. Jesus was about to go get on the cross and his disciples were asleep. The people that followed him for multiple years, day and night, every meal, and they were asleep. My conviction is, am I constantly filling myself with these tiny things, thinking I'm okay, and then I'm sleeping in the garden while my Christ is sweating blood for me? So my encouragement for you is to show up when it's hard, to grab a milkshake and to share the honesty, because being on mission doesn't mean being a perfect Christian and having it together. Being on mission is mean, means being broken and raising your hallelujah. Like the song we sang this morning of gracefully broken, we raise our arms high and we have a Father that's constantly pursuing us. We ask and He answers and He's not going to turn away. So you're either going to risk it for Christ or you won't, so don't let that fear hold you back because His track record of faithfulness is impeccable. He's not going to let you down no matter what you do. You can either choose to show up and be expectant, You can turn away and not be on mission for Christ. So with that, (laughs) I'm going to invite Robbie up to speak about discipleship and how we can be on mission in that way.
3: Good morning. morning. Awesome. So first of all, I just want to shout out those two, um, Casey Moore and Sarah Ludwig today. Dear friends, I love them so much. They destroyed it. Um, I just want to praise the Lord, too, and thank you, God, for their passion for you and for their heart and for the words that they spoke and the truth that they've spoken so far today. And I want to pray that I would continue along that journey and speak truth as well. Um, So... I've been given the opportunity to speak on discipleship today. Um, It's the third conviction of our church, so after family, mission, and finally discipleship. So we're going to start off with what our church defines as the definition of discipleship. Um, So according to our church, discipleship is following the teachings of Jesus and inviting others to do the same. Um, When I was a kid, I was in elementary school, and it was time for me to start playing some sort of sport, do something active. My parents said I could try out a couple things because I didn't have a particular passion at the time. Um, and so I tried soccer that didn't work out because every game got ringed out except for one. <laughs> I also tried basketball, but if anyone's seen me play basketball lately, it hasn't changed much. Um, and I tried football and hockey. And, and what made that choice for me to end up playing hockey was not the sport itself, to be honest. It was this guy who was two years older than me named Brady. Um, I was in this learn-to-play hockey class, and Brady was there, and this dude was awesome. Like, he, he was so cool. He probably didn't know anything about hockey, to be honest, but a little bit more than me, and I thought that was so cool. Um, I wanted to, to dress like Brady. I wanted to skate like him. I would even literally get behind him in line in the drills and skate like the way that he did in order to imitate him. And I think this is a, a kind of a good visual representation of what discipleship is, mostly because of the word imitation. Um, But instead of me trying to talk about what discipleship is, I'm going to speak from the text. Um, When Jesus personally defines discipleship in John 8.31, when the Jews have asked him what it is to to follow him. Um, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The two words that I think really, really stick out in this passage that we need to define are abide and word. Um, So we'll start with abide. Um, Abide is a Greek word that translates, or the Greek word is menio, which translates to abide, remain, continue, endure, or dwell. Um, Personally, when I look at this, the word dwell really sticks out to me. Instead of just choosing something or following something, it's literally living within it, dwelling within it. Um, So next um, what is word? What are we dwelling within? And this is the Greek word of logos. Uh, it's kind of a, it's a little bit more confusing. Um, it has a bit of a double meaning, but on a surface level, it's kind of what you would expect. It's speech, teachings, or doctrines. So literally what we have in the Bible. We're dwelling in what we've been told, what the scripture says. Um, but there's an understanding that what you spoke, your words, were not you, but they were an embodiment of you. And so the embodiment of God was Jesus himself. Um, and this is proven in John 1.1, 1, 1, where, where it's written, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Um, and that's talking about Jesus. So to put this all together, we're not only saying that we're going to live within the teachings of Jesus in the Bible that we have, but we're saying we're going to live within Jesus himself. The word disciple itself can be translated to learner or pupil or disciple. Um, and a, a word that I think is really cool and really describes it is apprentice. Um, apprenticeship is not super common in our culture, though it was back in Bible times. But one example that we do have now is, is being like an apprentice at a tattoo parlor. So imagine that this is the career that you've chosen, and you, you look and you say, okay, who's the best tattoo artist that there is? Who do I want to follow and become like? Um, and you would approach them, and you would say, hey, can I be your disciple? And to step out of this metaphor, we don't have to ask Jesus if we can be his disciple. He's asked us to be his. Um, <laughs> but to go back to the metaphor, um, <laughs> um, so if you were purchasing at a tattoo shop, you wouldn't be sitting there and taking notes in class. You'd be partaking and watching firsthand. Um, and starting small, but you would be, you would be doing, not just learning. So our, our, our apprenticeship to Jesus is not a mentorship. Um, it's not like we're going about life and we get to step outside and say, like, hey, Jesus, this is this hard question that I finally approached while I was doing life by myself. How do I do that? Um, and instead, we're, we're literally walking in apprenticeship and learning with Jesus. Um, I was talking to Spencer the other day, and, and he said to me, he said, discipleship is not about advice. It's about obedience. Um, and I think that really sums it up. Um, but in order to follow the word that we've been called to be an apprentice to and live within, um, we can't just know the word. We have to know about it. And I think this really speaks to what Sarah was saying um, about how difficult it is um, in, our, in our current day and age and in the busyness. And I think this is a, a big theme with us right now. But I was listening to a podcast from John Mark Comer and Jefferson Betke talking about busyness. And, and I, I'll read this paraphrase that I wrote down. Um, There's a struggle in the modern age. We have more access to information about God than ever before, yet we struggle and fail to live daily actually being with God and in relationship to him. We have more access and information ab- about God than ever before, yet we struggle and fail to live daily actually being with him and in relationship to him. Um, it, it's like we're trying to follow someone that we barely know, which is so hard, um, and, and there's not like a, a tip or trick or some crazy, like mythical answer to how to follow him. It's, it's, it's things that have been around for ages. It's, it's the spiritual disciplines. Um, and if I, if I was going to go into these, there could be a sermon on each one and a whole series on each one, um, but I'll just list a couple really quickly. Um, prayer, through prayer, we can conversate with God. Through scripture, we can, we can learn from him and listen to him. Through rest, we can be quiet and hear his voice. Through worship, we can praise him, through work, we can honor him, and through family, like Casey said, we can really see Him at play in this world. And all these pursuits are, if we're doing this, we can really experience God and learn about who He is as a person. Um, it's, it's so important to think of your discipleship to Jesus or your apprenticeship to Jesus as a relationship instead of a mentorship. Um, but I have one more visual that I like to walk through um, as I close. There, there was a, a saying in the first century, um, to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And this wasn't necessarily written about Jesus. It, it was just written about rabbis of the time. But it applies so well to Jesus. Um, as, as, as the followers of a particular teacher would be, would be following them, they would literally walk behind him so close and imitate in their steps that they would be literally covered in that rabbi's dust. It makes me think about the 12 disciples um, like Sarah talked about, and, and how we have these kind of highlight stories. We think about, um, like when Lazarus was raised from the dead or, or the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and these moments that the disciples were there, but they were also there the next day and the day before just walking from town to town. Um, they were de- there when maybe someone bumped into Jesus, how he responded to that, how, like an awkward interaction, what Jesus did then. And I, I think if we put this together, if we think about if we're following Jesus in, in this way that he's called us to and pursuing him and abiding in his word, we'll be able to see what it looks like to live as Jesus would in this current time at, in Greensboro, in whatever you're doing, in your school, and your life. Um, so my question, I guess, or my, my, my call would be, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And what does it look like to do what he would do if he lived where you were right now? Um, so i 'll close in prayer, um, dear Lord, just thank you so much for this, this time and, and these, these young people that'm so dear friends of mine. Um, thank you for allowing us to have this opportunity to, to speak your word. Um, I pray that through each of us you 've spoken something that, that has touched someone and, and that we would be able to, uh, to grow to be more like you as a community, as a family. Um, and that we'd be able to push each other towards you and follow your teachings, as it says, on our own, but encourage each other and encourage others to do the same. Amen.
0: Give it up for all these awesome students. Come on.